0: turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. I got a text from Dana Dudley this morning, and she said, hey, I'm in Lubbock, and I'm at a Church of Christ, and guess what our sermon text for this morning is? And she sent me a little graphic from their screen, and it said, Ephesians 4. And I said, hey, you move all the way to Texas, you can't get away from Ephesians. She's she's still going to be studying it together with us. That's exciting. Uh, Before we get into the text this morning, I want to... Um, do a little demonstration and kind of do an illustration to set the, set the stage here. But I'm going to need a volunteer. I need somebody who is willing to come up here, speak into the microphone, and read me some instructions. Instructions that you have never seen before and that I will have to follow. So if you would like to volunteer, I I, I should have asked someone ahead of time, um, people are pointing at each other. Let's have Darren come on up here. Everybody, everybody clap for Darren. He's one of your elders here at Tri-Valley, so he has to when I point at him and come up here. Yes, that's right. Okay, here's what's going to happen right now. Darren, there are three dances that you are going to give me instructions, and I'm going to try to do these dances. I've never seen these dances before. Uh, I don't know how to do them correctly, but we have written instructions. Darren is going to read them for me, and based on his instructions, I'm going to try to execute them. They're not just any dance. These are Fortnite dances. If you uh, are not a Fortnite participant, Fortnite is a very popular video game. And when you succeed in Fortnite, sometimes your character will do a victory dance. And there's lots of different kinds of dances. And this is where these dances come from. But again, I've never seen them before on the video game or in real life. I only know the names. So if you would start with the first dance, we're going to see how well I do. And then I'm going to show you a video of what it's supposed to look like. And we'll see how, how that goes.
1: And thank you for volunteering me to be the reader, not the dancer. I ah, agree. You are welcome. I, I appreciate that very much. <laughs> uh, the first one is jubilation. Jubilation. It okay. involves stamping your feet quickly. Stamping your f- okay. feet quickly with your arms straight in the air and slightly rotating your body. OK, so stamping,
0: arms straight in the air, stamping, in the air. stamping your
1: feet quickly. Stamping your feet quickly. So like, quickly. like this. And I have to. And slightly rotating okay. your body. Slightly <laughs> rotating your body nice okay uh, has anybody seen the jubilation done correctly was that close
0: we need young people to weigh in is that is that close I don't know I let's don't know. find out so here's the jubilation done the way that it's supposed to be done yeah. stand by let's see oh here it is oh
1: hey that's not bad
0: okay so I was supposed to alternate my feet but it didn't say it. Uh-huh. okay well that's helpful I also didn't bring my, my golden wolf mask, and so I'm a little bit off there, but that's okay. The next dance, what's it called? Cool. Next
1: dance is called Fresh. Fresh. Okay. It involves swing your body and arms from left to right in a fast motion. It's all. I'm running out of breath. Yeah, I don't know how these are all so fast. Um, swinging your arms and your body from left to right.
0: Oh, from left to right in a fast
1: to- motion. In,
0: okay, so it's like. Was that fast enough?
1: Sure.
0: Okay. I don't know if that's that's the fresh. Let's see what it's supposed to look like. Oh, it's the Carlton. You should have just said the Carlton and saved me a lot of uh, breath. Okay. So it's it's supposed to be like this, this swinging thing all right we had, we had light instructions there <laughs> okay maybe there's some things missing i think we've got more on this last dance what's this one called
1: this is called the electro shuffle
0: electro shuffle
1: okay electro shuffle lift your right foot okay and shuffle your left foot inward like there you that. go now point your right foot back down as you shuffle your left foot outward wait oh shoot left like, fo- left foot there okay. you go like, i think your right foot stays up yeah all right is there more Yep. Is that the whole thing? Take a last five steps to the right. With, with, what, with what? I don't know, it's what it says. Two, three, four, five. Move to the left and continue shuffling sideways. <laughs> there you go, there you go. All I right. have no
0: idea. All right, all right. Uh, you got it? They saw it. Well I, I did go. it, I'm not gonna do it again. Let's see what, uh, this is the electro shuffle. That is not what you described, Darren. <laughs> you should have said skeleton breakdancing and I would have been able to handle it. But, alright, thank, let's thank Darren for helping us with that illustration. Okay, whew, I am out of breath, you guys. I should work on these more often. Um, <laughs> the point that I wanted to illustrate here is that having a model of somebody doing something the way that is expected is more helpful sometimes than just having the written instructions. Darren had had these steps and they were kind of true and descriptive of what was going on, but then when we saw these examples up here, it's like, oh, I could have just watched somebody do it and try to imitate them, mirror what they were doing. That would have gone a lot better. Uh, The reason that I'm talking about this is because where we're at in Ephesians chapter four, Paul starts to give some examples of what following Christ looks like, what being the church looks like. And Paul is going to continue to do that throughout the rest of the letter. There's this uh, 20th century evangelist from China named Watchman Nee. And he wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. And that is his three-word summary for the entire book of Ephesians. And what that breaks down to is chapters 1 through 3 is where you just sit and you have to realize that all the heavy lifting has been done for you by Christ. We do not save ourselves. Jesus did all the work. You remember from chapter 2 in my story about going to Haiti, and I didn't do anything to contribute it. That's how it is with Christ and our salvation. He did all the work. So in chapters 1 through 3, you just sit and you listen to that good news, and you receive it, and you accept it. Then when you cross over into chapter four, chapters 4 and 5, he says that's the walk section of Ephesians. That's when you, once you've understood it, you get up and now you walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling of Christ. You you walk a Christian life. There's some some practical things about what you're supposed to do. And then in chapter 6, you get that section about taking your stand against the devil's schemes and putting on the armor of God. That's the stand part. So Ephesians can be broken down. Sit, walk, stand. And this morning, we are going to get into the walk section. At the beginning of the passage we're going to look at this morning, Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. In the original Greek language, the, the phrase live a life is simply the word for walk. It's the, the Greek word peripeteo, uh, walk, and then the word worthy, hoxios. Peripateo hoxios, just means walk worthy. So that's what we are called to do. Once we've wrapped our brains around salvation and all that Jesus has done for us, then we're supposed to Get up and walk worthy. But how do we do that? What does that look like, Paul? He's going to help us see that this morning. Let's read uh, the first six verses of chapter 4. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. And that we're just going to take that in this morning. That's as far as we're going to go into chapter four. A lot of times you'll see this in Paul when he's writing letters, encouraging churches. He'll kind of say, "Here's what I want you to do." There's a, a command or an exhortation. Do this and then he'll tell you how to do that. So the headline is do this and then the supporting points by doing this, 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 and this. And here the headline is walk worthy, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. How are we supposed to do that? By being humble, by being gentle, by exercising patience, by making every effort to maintain unity in the bond of peace. But the headline here is to walk worthy of the calling that you've received. You can see on the screen there the word calling shows up two or three times. And I want to stop and talk about calling just for a minute because it's an interesting word that's a lot of times thrown around in Christian circles. I'm friends with a lot of ministers that are in different denominations and work for different churches uh, and serve in various ways, and you hear this word used sometimes. And I have to admit, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable because uh, people will ask you, like, when did you receive your calling? to go into ministry, um, or somebody will talk about, I, I felt a calling from God to go into a particular mission field, and when they talk about this, it's not a bad thing, I think it's, it's good, it's a good way to describe this, this urge that you've had to go out and serve the Lord, but sometimes when people use this language, they'll talk about it with other ministers, oh, you're a minister, you must have been called to that, otherwise you wouldn't be a minister of the gospel, I don't think that's true. I think maybe growing up in a church that emphasized the priesthood of all believers. anybody hear that? Was that focused on a lot in the church that you grew up in? Um, for me, maybe that just made it so that uh, we're all called. We're all called to be ministers. And when people say, when did you receive your calling to go into ministry? I don't really know how to answer that question. And sometimes what I'll say is, well, I guess when I was baptized. When I said yes to Jesus, I said, I want to follow Jesus. I expected that there would be some ministry involved. And long before I was ever paid to be a minister or a full-time staff person at a church like I am now, I was preaching, and I was evangelizing, and I was ministering, and I was, I was doing what I think that all Christians are called to do. And if I had a midlife crisis tomorrow and decided to, to quit my job here at tri Valley, which I'm not going to do, by the way, um, but if I did, I would imagine that I would still be doing a lot of ministry and doing a lot of the things that I'm doing right now. Because I'm trying to live a life that is worthy of the calling that I've received when I believed in Jesus and said yes to centering my life around him. And I think that's not just me. I think that that's a lot of us. I think that Paul is calling all Christians to this calling. And the way that it plays out in our daily lives is certainly going to vary because you do different things with your, with your job and with your family, with your neighbors, with uh, the location that you live in. All of those details are going to change, but I think that we are all still called to the same calling. We have the same mission, even though the details may vary in our lives as Christians. And I hope I'm not the first person to tell you this. I hope I'm telling you something that you've already considered and already have an understanding of. But... Ministry in Christ is something that you signed on for. It's when you said yes to Jesus, there are some things that go with it. When you sign up for something, a lot of times today, there's a lot of different choices that go along with it, different uh, levels of commitment that you can make and different costs that are attached to those commitments. I was thinking about this earlier this week because I was looking at um, our our web agreement. The Tri-Valley Church of Christ has a website with information on it, and it's powered by a company called Squarespace. And uh, I was looking at their different plans and like how much you can pay to have this kind of website, how much you can pay to have this kind of website. And I found this chart. Don't worry about what it says necessarily. This is just to illustrate that there's different levels of payment that you can subscribe to. Here on the far left, There's like the $12 a month package, and you get some basic features of what you want your website to do. If you're not that serious about a website, if it's not an e-commerce kind of thing, then you don't need all the bells and whistles. You don't need all the features. But if you want to, you can upgrade to the business package, which is $18 a month. And you can see the checklist says, oh, you get more of these amenities. And we can scroll on down the list. You can sign up for the $26 a month package. And on the far right, there's the everything. Package. You're paying more for it, it costs you more, but you can do all the things that a website is supposed to do. This is pretty common. Nod your head if you've seen one of these before. Like I don't need all this stuff for my website, I just need the basic package so sign me up for the left column. This makes sense as a business. This makes sense if you're trying to sign up for a website or a gym membership or a streaming video subscription, it's, it's important to get the package that you need, not pay more for something that you don't use. And it works in these kinds of environments, but it doesn't work in following Jesus. I don't think that we get to choose the package that we want when it comes to following Jesus. But some people treat their faith like this. There's the salvation only package I'm gonna get the basics I've said yes to Jesus Uh, I I got dipped and I'm good to go all this other stuff is optional and I don't have a lot of time to invest into it it's just gonna cost me more so I'm gonna stick with the basic package some people's attitude some people want the Sunday only package or the personal package and I realize that this slide is a little bit snarky and a little bit cheeky but I think it illustrates something that is true Sometimes we don't realize when we sign on to following Jesus that we're signing on for all these things. And these things are not things that I'm making up. These are things that I'm getting from Scripture, and these are even things that we're hearing Paul say in this section. If You want to walk worthy of the calling of Christ? That includes being humble. That includes being gentle. It's not just like, okay, the personal package, I can do all these things myself, but then when it comes time to be patient with someone else, or being unified with the church that you're involved in, some people are not as excited about that package. But it's all there. Jesus gave his life so that we could become part of God's family. Remember, we were outsiders. Because of Christ's sacrifice, he brought us in, he adopted us, and we are now insiders. And we can't pay it back. That's not what I'm talking about here. Living a life worthy is not like, you did so much for me, let me cover this one. Let me pay you back. Let me make it even so that I'm not in debt to you. We can never, ever do that. But instead, we say, Jesus, you gave your life for me, and now we are giving our lives for you. We are dedicating ourselves to be worthy of the calling that brought us out of darkness and into the light of Christ. That's the attitude that Christians have. And part of that package, as you see up here, is unity in the body of Christ, a main theme that we see throughout Ephesians and that he hits on here in this passage as well. Uh, It's there. Unity of the Spirit. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Hopefully this morning, in our worship time, you heard all these scriptures that Roger read for us. Thanks for reading those again, Roger. You may have picked up on a theme. It was the theme of oneness. The theme that God himself is one. Jesus, I want my followers to be one just as I am in you and you are in me and we are in each other. And there's this unity. If you think of the concept of God, it goes all the way back to the start of the Bible when God says, let us create men and women in our image. Our image? Who's our? Why is this plural? There's this community that is God. There's this mystery that we sometimes call the Trinity that's hard to understand where there's three distinct persons but they're all one and they're all unified And you go throughout Scripture, Deuteronomy 6, in the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay. There's a unity within God. So it shouldn't surprise us that God wants his church, God wants his people to be united. They want them to be one and working together as well. It makes sense. What does that mean for us? I think it means that we're on the same team. We should be working together for the purposes of Christ in our world. I think I've told you this before, but Lisa and I kind of have a code word sometimes when when our arguments get a little bit heated, when we start to disagree on something and maybe we kind of start to take it out on each other, which it happens sometimes, but our reminder is just the, the two words. We say, same team, same team, which means, why are we fighting each other? We're working together. We have the same goals for our family, for our marriage, for our involvement in the church, same team. It's a good reminder. You can use that one if you want. It it helps. It reminds you that let's not fight against each other. Let's work together. As I've been coaching Molly's soccer team, I've I've been seeing problems of unity with the girls. I was at practice the other day, and there were two girls who weren't playing. One was off to the side. She had her arms folded. She's like, I don't feel like playing soccer anymore. I said, why not? This other girl over here is almost in tears, and I'm saying, oh. There was a problem. So I pulled them aside, and I said, let's, talk, let's, let's hear what's going on. Why can't you guys play together? And it all came pouring out, a lot of emotions. They said, this person took my spot, so I had to go and cover, and I didn't get to score the goal. Well, this person is making me feel judged because of the way that she's talking to me, and she wasn't being nice, and just back and forth and back and forth. And you could tell this was a major problem that was getting in the way of our soccer practice. So I listened for a couple minutes, and then I said, okay, you, what's the name of the team that you're on? And she said, the Lightning Bolts. I said, okay, good. How about you? What's the name of the team that you're on? And she could tell where I was going with this by this point. She said, Lightning Bolts. (laughs) And I said, you guys are on the same team. Work together. Don't fight with each other. Fight for the ball. Pass to each other. Do these things that we've been practicing. It was a good reminder to be on the same page, to be on the same team. The same is true for a church. As a team, as a coordinated unit, we function together as the body of Christ to do his work in the world. And when it, like I talked about last week, when it does what it's supposed to do, it's a wonderful thing. And people stand up, they celebrate it, and they take notice. I, was the, I found a video this week that kind of reminded me of this. I want to share this with you. This is, you can turn the volume by halfway. We don't really need it super uh, a lot. But this is a marching band, and you can tell that they are all marching and they're working together and everybody's playing their instruments and then they break apart from their formations and you're like oh that looks kind of like a mess but oh wait a minute what is it that they're doing they're forming a body this marching band is now in the shape of a football player some people are the arms of the football player. some people are the legs and the feet there's a helmet and oh wow it's actually moving it's not just something that they've gathered together to do but they're actually moving and it's a body that's working together in unison and if you look over here to the side of the screen it looks like they're moving toward a certain goal they're going to actually do something there's this this football that's on the field and this looks like maybe this is a kicker do you think that it's going to happen let's wait and find out Uh, there's feet down at the bottom there's a head down at the top but they're all working together the leg starts to swing And it looks like we may actually have accomplished our goal. Three, two, one, boom. And it kicks the ball. When it works together, when it works correctly, it does something that is very exciting and very worthwhile. Uh, And you may not have been able to hear it on the recording, too, but the fans in the stands, while they were watching this marching band, as soon as they kicked the ball, they went crazy. They were like, yeah! I heard somebody in the back over here clap. They were like, yes, that's an awesome thing. That's what happens when the church is unified. Uh, Don't turn those lights on so quick, Dan. We got one more video. This is an example of what happens when the church, as a marching band, doesn't do exactly what it should be doing. Keep your eye on the tubas on the right side of the screen here, but here's another band. And there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's flags twirling. People are trying to get to where they're going, but I'm not seeing a great formation. Oh, uh uh-oh. Somebody fell down, now there's a tuba pile up. They have to scramble to get their instruments back. The formation is completely lost. And uh, I'm, I'm not showing you this so that we can make fun of these strangers that we don't know, that would not be kind. But you can turn the lights back on, Dan. I'm showing you this to show that that's kind of what happens. And sometimes churches can get like that. They're spending so much time picking themselves up or collecting themselves or just trying to figure out where am I supposed to be and who's stepping on me and I'm falling over and the people in the stands are are not cheering. They're just kind of going like, hmm, this marching band probably needs some work. I'm going to go back and watch that first one with the the kick. That was great. It's kind of two examples of, of what unity looks like and what unity doesn't look like. Okay, so in Paul... He tells us this is the goal, walk worthy of the calling, and then here's some ways to do it. Being humble, being gentle, being patient. So what we have here, in one sense, is our list. This is your checklist of things that you could do, things that we ought to be doing. And we do that sometimes with scripture. We say, it's a nice list. It's a good way for me at the end of the day to determine, like, have I been Christ-like? Have I walked Worthy? Well, let's see. Was I patient? Mm, Not so much. Did I bear with somebody? Oh, i bear with someone a lot uh, earlier today. Um, And we we can kind of treat it like a list, check it off. And that's helpful in one sense. Um, But there's another way of looking at this. Sometimes a list will tell you what you ought to be doing or what you can do, but it doesn't show you how you're supposed to get there. And if you don't, Have a gift of patience, if that's really something you struggle with, or if you have a really hard time bearing with one another. It doesn't make a lot of sense for me to say, like, oh, you failed again, why don't you try harder at that? You might go, I I don't know how. I don't know what that looks like. And that is when having a helpful example that you can watch and learn from comes in handy. Kind of like with the Fortnite dances that I did over here. I kind of made a mess of them. Any person age 11 to 13 is probably just face palming and going, like, that was abysmal. That was terrible. But if I had an 11-year-old or a 13-year-old Fortnite aficionado that I could learn these dances from, I could probably pick them up a lot faster. I think a lot of us are formed by the models of faithfulness that we have seen in our lives. You could probably think of people that you learned what it means to walk worthy in Christ from. People who are great examples whose lives you got to see. And that's true for me as well. I learned how to preach by watching people like Garth Smith and Tim Fletcher and Ken Durham and Josh Ross and Steve Martin. I watched them. I saw them preach sermon after sermon after sermon. And I learned what faithful preaching looks like. I learned about hospitality from a family that I I lived with for a while in college called the Highfields. And then another family that I lived with for a while called the Merits. And I learned about hospitality and generosity from a lot of the families in this congregation as well. I learned by watching. And I bet if you stopped and thought for not even very long, you could think of people in your life who've been models of faith for you. And you could name their names and say, this is why I'm the way I am. It's because I saw them do it well first. They showed me what following Jesus looks like at the street level. They taught us how to walk worthy of the calling of Christ. This is a great way to learn something. And this is a Jesus way of learning something, too. If we go back and look at the life of Jesus and how he trained disciples, how he modeled faithfulness, it was a really, really simple formula. He saw somebody and he said, hey, come on with me. Let's go get some lunch. Or, hey, follow me. We're going to go over here and do some stuff. In the Gospel of John, people hear about Jesus and they start following him. He turns around and goes, What's up? And they said, Hey, where are you going? Where are you staying? And he said, Why don't you come and find out? Come and see. Come along with me. In Matthew, Jesus goes down to the water's edge where there's people fishing. It's their work day. This is what they do for a job. And he goes down there and he's teaching and he's talking with people. He may have known them, he may not have known them. And he said, Hey, you, come and follow me. And they did. They went to someone's house. Then they went to another town. Then they saw people being healed. Then they heard him teach and went, wow! All kinds of experiences they had with Jesus just because he invited them into his life. Jesus didn't just give people a list. He gave people his life. He didn't just give them action items. He gave them access to himself. And I think that that master-apprentice relationship, that discipler-disciple relationship is something that we are in need of in our world today but they're really formative if that's been your experience then maybe we need to start thinking in the forward direction and ask ourselves some questions like who am i discipling or who is discipling me in addition to asking uh, of this text am i being patient and am i being humble am i bearing with people that's the checklist model maybe we should be asking ourselves Who are we learning faithfulness from, and who are we modeling it for? I think a lot of us would agree that discipleship is important for Christians, but our approach to it is sometimes a passive approach. We say, well, we're all in the same church, and I'm trying to be faithful, and if this person wants to learn from me, they know where to find me, so I'm going to let my light shine and and hope it shines on some people. I think we need to be a little bit more active in our disciple-making process as we look to the example of Jesus. And I don't expect everybody to have a mentoring, discipling, life on life relationship with everyone else. I don't think that that's realistic and that's not really even what Jesus did. But we have to ask ourselves this question. Do we have that kind of relationship with anyone? If I asked everybody individually, who are you discipling? You should be able to name somebody. I'm intentionally spending time with this person who's maybe not as far down the road in their faith as I am. And what makes me qualified to do that? Well, because I'm being discipled by someone else. I've been given access to their life. I've learned from them, and now I am passing that on. This is one of our big hopes for the discipleship groups that are starting this week, is that people will connect with each other. They'll meet together. They'll eat together. They'll listen to Scripture together. They'll pray with each other, and they will disciple each other. They will show each other what trusting and following Jesus looks like. And they'll learn to live, li- live lives that are worthy of the calling that we've all received. They'll, together, we'll learn how to walk worthy. And they'll live lives that are worth imitating. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. I memorized this once upon a time because it's 1 Corinthians 11, 1. So it's lots of ones. Kind of like in our Paul passage here. We had all these ones. Uh, one body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one God and Father. Here's another ones. 1 Corinthians 11, one. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians writes, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. If I'm on track and I'm being faithful and I'm living a Christ-like life, then I can just as easily say do the things that I do. Pray like I pray. Spend your time and money like I spend my time and money because I am just being faithful. and We can do that with one another. So earlier this week, I was having a conversation with another minister here in Livermore. I hadn't seen him in a while, so we shook hands, we were chatting, and he says, hey, how are things going over at Tri-Valley? And I gave him a bad answer. I have to confess, what I said, I shouldn't have said. I kind of missed the point of his question. He said, how are things going over at Tri-Valley? And I said, ah, it's kind of tough, you know, we keep losing people. People keep moving out of state, our numbers are way down, and uh, yeah, it's just it's kind of different." We talked a little bit more after that. After our conversation, I walked away and I realized, that's not a very faithful answer. That's, I, I didn't even answer his question, because what he was asking was like, what is God doing at your church? And what I gave him was basically a weather report. I told him what the context was. It, it, it might as well have said like, oh, you know, well, you know, it was 90 degrees earlier this week, but now it's autumn and it's starting to cool down a little bit. Like, that doesn't explain what God is doing. That just kind of says what the environment is like. It's true that people have been moving away, and we were, seeing, we're saying goodbye to more folks. But for me to answer his question, what is God doing in your church? And say, like, well, God's just taking people away. I'm not sure what's happening. Uh, that's not really what's going on at the church. So then that night I went to Bill and Connie's house, and I met with the leaders. We had dinner. We prayed together. And I brought this up. I said, yeah, I didn't give a very faithful answer to the question. I would have liked to have answered it differently because the truth is God is doing a lot at Tri-Valley. God is doing some amazing things through some awesome people in his church. So I said, let's have a redo right here on the couches. Let's just, let's just go around and let us all of us answer that question faithfully. Let's say, what is God doing at Tri-Valley right now? And the answers to this question got us all excited. We were pumped by the end of it as we just we opened our eyes and saw what God was truly doing among us. And I want to share, I was taking notes. I want to share that list with you as we end this morning. I want you to do two things while I read through some of these things that the leaders identified at Tri-Valley. One, I want you to listen for examples of discipling that is happening. Life on life. People giving access to each other. People learning the faith from one another and modeling it for one another. That's the first thing I want you to pay attention to with this list. The second thing I want to invite you to do is if you hear something that you think is of God, I want you to say amen. I want you to clap your hands, or just make some noise, because this is something that's worth getting excited about. Dan Hill, can I get an amen? Amen. All right, sound like Dan during this next part. This is what God is doing at Tri-Valley. Connor is teaching a class with Darren. Connor is 19 years old, and he is co-leading a men's class. And he's not just showing up and reading the questions, but he's putting in the work. And Darren and Connor are meeting once a week. And Connor is the one who's initiating these meetings a lot of the time. And I'm excited that that's something that God is doing. Tri-Valley leaders and members are looking outward, and they're more interested in reaching people in Livermore. This is one of the upsides of losing people or having people move away is that we're saying, okay, well, who can fill their seat? And we're looking to our neighborhoods, and we're looking in the community, and we're saying, like, how can we be the hands and feet of Christ in the world? And that's exciting. That's something that's going on. All right, we're warming up to this amen idea. We're getting there. Another thing that God is doing among us is that the benevolence group that meets on Mondays, it has a a spring in its step, if you will. There's a new life, and there's a rejuvenation that has happened. There's this new sense of focus and mission, and they're picking up new volunteers on Mondays, and they're making more connections in the community, and these people on Mondays are showing up and working hard, and it's glorifying God. Amen? Amen. Michaela Grant is a new member of Tri-Valley. I'm excited about that. She's been singing with the praise team. She's been getting involved. She signed up for our our groups, uh, discipleship groups, so we'll see you for dinner on Wednesday night at the old Parnell Casa. Speaking of discipleship groups, I'm encouraged that 18 families from Tri-Valley signed up to be part of these three discipleship groups. That's awesome. Uh, that's, that's good news. Uh, praying through scripture is something that's catching on and it's becoming part of the Tri-Valley culture. We're not just listening to scripture, but we're, we're praying through scripture. We're responding. We're writing down prayers. We're sharing them with one another. We're expanding our prayer vocabulary. We're growing closer to the Lord because of this. Uh, there's a deepening spirituality that's connected to that, this deepening concern for one another. People are more likely to just break into spontaneous prayer with each other or share their concerns with each other. It's, it's awesome what God is doing. I got a few more. There's people stepping up and taking on new roles, and I would name names, but I certainly would leave people out, and so I'm not going to do that, but just with a lot of the different tasks and the things that keeps the church going or that fuels our uh, outreach efforts, there's a lot of new people saying, I'll do that. I want to be involved, and that's awesome. That's a huge blessing. All right, I take it back. There's one name that I will name, and this was one that somebody in the living room pointed out, and we all said amen. Brittany Wallage is, uh, <laughs> is taking on a leadership role at this church. She's involved with the youth. She's involved with the camp planning team. She's one of the West Coast Girls Conference directors. She's led uh, a women's class more than once. Lisa's uh, one of the leaders of the current women's class, and she was sick a couple weeks ago, and Brittany was the first person that she called. And Brittany said, yes, I'll fill in your class morning of. Um, She's showing a lot of maturity and dedication to Christ. It's an awesome example. Follow her example as she follows the example of Christ. Uh, there's new life in the Wednesday teen gathering. They've been eating together more often, um, which leads to great worship times and then discipleship discussions around the table, um, some new adult volunteers and some new teens that have that helped make that awesome. Justin Garza is not only our youth minister, but he's also a college student. He goes to Las Positas College, and he's taking a, uh, is it Western Civilization class? And they said, you've got to write a paper. You can do whatever you want, whatever topic that you want. Guess what he chose? Why Christianity was the most radical religion in the history of the world. And he got up in front of a bunch of people that he didn't know, and he said, Jesus is the way. And here's why Christianity changed the world. And afterwards, people were like "Say, oh, is that really true? They were asking him follow-up questions. They were making comments. They were exchanging numbers and making appointments to get together for lunch. That's happening at Las Positas College because of what God is doing. Yeah, I got a big clap, dude. Praise God. The fall youth retreat is coming up. We have a men's retreat coming up in November. Uh, just, this list could go on and on. We, we kind of stopped the list because we were like going, okay, we, we want to get home and get some sleep at some point. But this, we share all these things. It wasn't, it didn't take us a long time to figure them out. And we were just excited about what God is doing among us. So I want you to know, if anybody asks you, how are things going at Tri-Valley, you can share any or all of that stuff. Say, this is what is happening. Discipleship is alive and well. People are learning how to go together. I want to encourage you to be a part of that. If you're hearing this and you're thinking, I, discipleship is such a weird word. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to counsel someone? Am I supposed to be their, 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 their pastor or their instructor? I don't really know. Just do what Jesus did and invite them. There's a very, very simple discipling principle that goes, uh, it's the... the middle two big words up here. Go together. Everybody say, go together. together. If you're wondering how you should disciple somebody, what should you do? Go together. Go Go have a meal together. Do something you were already going to do. Take them to the grocery store. Have Have a conversation with you while you're cooking dinner. Bring them over to your house. If you're doing something for the church, like a repair work or cleaning, or you volunteer here, take somebody with you. If you come to church to worship, invite them to go with you. We go together, and this is how discipleship happens. So that's my encouragement for you guys this morning. I'll close by sharing with you maybe the most exciting thing that we shared in our meeting on Tuesday night. And that is, Kristen Johnston said she wants to get baptized. And she wants to say yes to Jesus. She wants to make Christ the center of her life. She wants to sign up for the premium package of what being a disciple looks like. Uh, And so we're going to celebrate that as a body this morning. Uh, Bill and the praise team are going to lead us in this last song, which talks about us being the body of Christ. Then we're going to raise the screen uh, and see Kristen get baptized and just keep the celebration going. So let's stand and worship together.